the end. You hold the entire world in the palm of your hand. Father, it was, it was your word that, that by, by, by the word of your power, you breathed and you said, let there be, and it was. Father, we don't recognize just how, how marvelous you really are, how transcendent you are, how you are the best of all beings. Lord, you are preeminent. You are merciful. You are majestic. You are mighty. You are incredible. You are truly awesome, dear God. Father, forgive us this day for our divided affections. And I ask that you would give us an undivided heart. Help us, Holy Spirit. Please come. Please convict. Please remind us what thus our Lord and Master Jesus Christ has already said. Father, I ask that you would hide me behind, your, behind the cross, that you would take my foolish words and use them for your glory to make much of Christ. We do love you and thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. You know, we've talked about it before, but in 2014, a tragic decision was made. And in that decision, some of, this, some of the fallout, some of the, the statistics that have come out of it is um, some 6,000 to 12,000 children were exposed to lead. A public health state of emergency, of emergency was declared. 79 lawsuits have resulted. Four resignations have taken place five suspensions, 15 criminal indictments, and 12 deaths from the Legionnaire's disease has resulted from this poor decision. In an attempt to cut costs, officials within the city of Flint decided to reroute their water supply from the Detroit River, from Lake Huron, to a nearby river which was known not to be the cleanest, but yet they would try to use that water in order, again, to, to cut costs. And in doing so, they failed to apply the proper chemicals to treat the water, which caused corrosion to the lead pipes, which led to lead being siphoned into the whole city and, and, and many beginning to feel and experience the results of lead poisoning. I'm speaking of the Flint water crisis that began in 2014, and here it is, 2019. And though uh, the water levels are said to be uh, where they're supposed to be, uh, they're at the right levels, uh, certainly the, the population there has a sense of distrust, a mistrust to those reports even now, even though the water is supposed to be well. Um, but within that whole situation, one of the questions that has been asked over and over again and still has, has not been answered fully was, uh, when did city officials really know what was going on? You know, in their early reports, they, they stated that things weren't that bad. 
There was a, and even a, a press conference where the governor of Michigan was holding a glass of water uh, saying that uh, things weren't that bad and the water was actually drinkable. And one of the news reporters said, well, won't you drink it? But supposedly things weren't that bad. So the, the question that, that is being asked now, was there a cover-up? Was there a cover-up because people really didn't want to come clean? And in this tragedy, it seems the, this tragedy of contaminated water seems to have come from the contamination of human hearts, really. Because on the outside, they said things were fine. On the outside, they say uh, they seem to be sincere. Have, have you ever been in a situation where on the outside, they, things seem right, they look like they were trustworthy. They looked like they knew what they was doing. They tore up your whole house. Don't know how to put it back together. It, it, it seemed like they knew what they were doing. On the outside, they, they seemed to have it all together in their, in their press conferences. They would be, have their suits and ties, and they, and they looked the part. But yet, this human rights disaster is really just a reflection of what's been going on with the human condition since Genesis 3, really. Because the contamination of human hearts took place when Adam and Eve tried to choose another water source. They tried to find them another source of living water. And in doing so, and, and realizing their error, uh, sin enters into creation. They understand that they have sinned against a holy and righteous God, and now they understand that they are naked before him, and, and their, their relationship with him has been corrupted, contaminated, in a sense, and they put on these fig leaves to make it seem like their sin wasn't that bad. Or that their sin wouldn't be seen. See, on the outside, they wanted to act like things were fine, like they had it all together. Metaphorically speaking, they planned a cover-up, both literally and figuratively. Fig, you get that? Figuratively? Their problem is our problem. Instead of admitting we have, sinf have a sinfully contaminated heart, we often focus on making things look good on the outside. We plan a cover-up for our lives and for our sin. We cover up our sin with, with, with things like money. Maybe if I can make enough money, then people won't really see me who I, who for, who I really am. Maybe I can buy friendships. Maybe I can buy influence. Maybe I can uh, put on nice clothes and look the part on the outside so we can try to cover up our sins with material things. Or maybe we try to cover up our sin with our works. Well, if I, if I just serve as a Sunday school teacher, if I serve as an usher, if I do enough, enough good, then maybe people won't notice how sinful I really am. plan a cover-up. Or maybe we simply cover up by choosing solitude instead of community. We would rather not be around the people of God because we don't want to be exposed by the people of God. So we just step back and we don't let anybody into our lives for real, for real. Like, why don't nobody in church really know where you live? Why church folks never been allowed in your home? Beloved, realize it's not what's on the outside. 
It's not what you are on the outside that matters. It's, it's what you are on the inside that matters most. And Jesus reminds us this, uh, that we really can't cover up sin that long anyway. In Luke, the sixth chapter, in the 45th verse, Jesus, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the, who you really are, deep down, who you really, really are, the for real, for real you, it's going to come out at some point. You're going to slip up, you're going to mess up, and people are going to see who you really are on the inside. What's in you will always eventually come out. So don't be standing around talking about, where did I come from? You know how we do. Why did I say that? You know why you said that. You've been thinking it all along. But we try to cover up. Though we primarily care about what's going on on the outside, God cares about what you look like on the inside. We see this in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter and 7th verse. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God knows your heart. You know how we say, well, God knows my heart. Yes, he does. He knows our heart, and he knows our sinful proclivities. He, he knows what we're harboring inside, and God judges based upon what's on the inside, not on how we uh, make our appearance looks on the outside. In other words, you can't just be good on the outside. You must be good on the inside to see Jesus. This is the heart of verse 8 here in the text. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus wants his disciples to understand that to be Christian, you must have been changed from the inside out. To be Christian is not an article of clothing that we can put on, but to be Christian, you have to have, have had an experience with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and it is he who changes you from the inside out. So now your existence is just, you just living out who you really are. You ain't got to worry about what people think about you, what they might say about you, because you ain't worried about what you're covering up. You're just living how God has called you to live. Out of the overflow of your heart. Remember in this text who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to his disciples, but in earshot are the Pharisees. And all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, he, he's blazing the Pharisees, really. Because the, the Pharisees, they, they're the religious establishment. They're the people who on paper, on the outside, seem to have it all together. They, they, they go to church when they're supposed to. They know scripture uh, front and back. They, they, they know how to pray in front of everyone else. They, they keep the law meticulously. They, they don't even uh, do small things. They are the, the standard of piety. But yet yeah, Jesus is always getting into it with the Pharisees because he knows that they are full of hypocrisy. They're more concerned about the outside look than what's going on on the inside. And Jesus constantly is exposing them for who they really are. Jesus, he's talking to them, and one time he says, you whitewashed tombs. 
what is he saying? Just like a tomb is beautiful on the outside, all of the fixtures are in place, and it, it looks good on the outside, but on the inside of a tomb is a dead man's bones, corroded and festering and stinking. Beloved, be careful. You're not Christian because you know how to look good on Sunday. Be careful. You're not Christian because you know how to sound good Sunday morning. Be careful. Genuine followers of Jesus have experienced a radical transformation and simply live out of that reality. Genuine Christians have experienced the but of 1 Corinthians 6. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's a but God. To be Christian is to be clean before God. To be Christian is to be clean. Look with me here in verse 8, the first half of it. Blessed are the pure in heart. Let's walk through it and define that. What does it mean to be pure in heart? We may be thinking all type of uh, examples of what it means to be pure in heart. A lot of times we, we think of just uh, sexual purity or or, uh, or some type of aspect of life where we, where we get it together. This, this definition of, uh, 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 of pure, there's a couple different nuances. Uh, in one sense, it means to be clean or free of adulterating matter. That just means contaminate, uh, contaminating matter. Free of things that would contaminate you. To be pure in the Bible would, uh, would also mean to uh, be ceremonially pure. In the Old Testament, under Levitical law, before you can even be considered holy, you had to go through a purification process. You had to be cleansed. You had to be washed. Your sins had to be, had to be sacrificed over the altar before you can even approach God. But, so so th th that is a, a ritualistic purity. But here in the text, this pure, it, it means being free from, from moral guilt. Being guilt-free. To be pure doesn't mean I'm just trying to do my best. To be pure doesn't mean that just work with me, I, 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 I get it together. To be pure doesn't mean God knows my heart, but to be pure is to be morally free from guilt. There's nothing on you. There's no charges against you. You don't have a case to be. To be completely free of sin. And you pair that up with, with this heart in, in, in Scripture. Whenever the Scriptures talks about the heart, it's referring to the, the center of, a, of your will. It's talking about the, uh, the core of who you are. One scholar, he, he, he looked through the scriptures and he, and he saw the different aspects of what the Bible was talking about when it talked about the heart. So the heart, not, not just 
this physical organ that we have, the, the Bible's not really talking about that, but when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the seat of the emotions, the place where your emotions come out of. It's, all, it's talking about the, the seat of understanding, the core of your, uh, what you know and how you process life. The heart is the seat of reason, how you come up with what you do. It's associated with your conscience. The heart is the seat of your motives, the why you do what you do. Why you act like that, why you walk like that, why you talk like that. The heart is the place, the, the root of our desires. Our desires comes out of the depths of our heart. The heart involves our decision-making. But then also the heart is the seat of faith. That's, what, that, that's why the text of Scripture says that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that uh, he has died for your sins, if you, if you believe that in your heart, in the center of your will. So it's not just me uh, learning something at vacation Bible school and, and thinking it's, it's cool that Jesus died for me, but it's actually taking the understanding and applying it to my life that by faith I'm going to trust in Jesus more than I trust in myself. I'm going to trust in Jesus more than I trust in grandma. I'm going to trust in Jesus more than I trust in grandpa or mama or Mimi or big pa. More than anyone else, I'm trusting him because I know him and I love him. That's the heart. So here's the thing. If Jesus is saying that we need to have a pure heart, do you really recognize what your heart is like right now. Mark the seventh chapter, the 20th verse, Jesus is speaking and he's, the Pharisees are, they're all caught up on, on, on what they don't eat. You, you know as Christians, we, we try to be Christian based upon what we don't do. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't, I don't, Pharisees are so worried about what they don't do, but here Jesus, he reminds them that in verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is why Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is desperately wicked. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? But in verse 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. To give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds, what you believe to be true on the inside is going to show up on the outside in how you talk and how you live. The, the, the reason why you live how you live is because you have a certain belief in your heart. 
That's what, that's what God is saying. He, he, he's able to discern the, the thoughts of our hearts. And the reason why we go left or go right is because it comes from our hearts. You know, there's been many debates on raising children, on, 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 on what really matters when you raise a child. Is it, is it nature versus nurture? Can you take a, a child and, and only uh, depending upon their, their situation or their circumstance, can you guarantee their outcome, the nurture? You know, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit of both, but at the end of the day, what leads us into sin is our nature. Because the text of Scripture tells us and it reminds us for, uh, that we are sinners. We have been born this way. We have been born with a desire to do what we want to do, how we want to do it, and when we want to do it. Romans reminds us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6 and 23 reminds us for the wages of sin is death. It is, it is built within us. It's in our hearts to desire sin. So when Jesus comes around and he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Beloved, this is not no cute phrase. This is a radical statement. He's talking to a bunch of people who have filthy hearts. And he's saying, but the only way that you can see God is to have a pure heart. A pure heart then is one that has been completely freed from sin and loves God in its entirety. That's twofold. That means that, well, I say it again, a, a, a pure heart then is one that has been completely freed from sin and loves God in its entirety. Beloved, this simply means a pure heart is to be morally undefiled and undivided. To be morally undefiled. This is, this is the psalmist in Psalm 51.10. Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. David knows that his sin was the product of a, a, a desperately wicked heart. And he knows that the only way he can choose to do God's bidding is if he has a new heart. He needs a clean heart in order to obey Christ. He needs a heart that is free from the rule of sin. That's, that's what it means to have a clean heart. No longer does sin rule and reign over your life in such a way that you have to do what sin says. But Jesus has come, and the text of Scripture says and declares to us that whom the Son has set free is free indeed. He has come, and he has come to set the captives free. No longer are we bound to sin when we trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. We actually have the ability to choose what's right. But apart from Christ, my heart is always tied to wickedness. It's always tied to sin. It's always tied to what I want to do. But not only being pure heart means to be morally undefiled, it means to be morally undivided. This is Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, where Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
Not only do we need a clean heart, we need a, a, a convinced heart. A heart that will not turn to the left or to the right. A heart that is only concerned about loving God above all things. That no man, no woman, no, no house, no car, no hobby, no team is greater than your love for Jesus Christ. It's easy for us to walk in here on, on Sunday mornings discouraged about the, the sporting reports on Saturday evenings or Saturday nights. Our team lost. But when our love for our team becomes greater than our love for God, then we have a divided heart. A convinced heart is a heart free from distraction. Remember what I said earlier? Just think about your own heart today. Does your heart look like this? Is your heart morally undefiled? Undivided? My heart doesn't look like this all the time. My heart always wa wants to uh, fight against the Spirit. My, my heart always wants to satisfy itself. My heart always wants to have the last word. My heart always wants to be in control. My heart doesn't like authorities. Don't tell me what to do. I'm grown. My heart hates authority. But not only does my heart chase after big sins, my heart and your heart Loves to keep locked up secret sins. You know those secret sins in your heart? Those sins that only you know? You know those sins that you say, I, they, that's going to the grave with me. Small sins, secret sins. There's no room for sin at all with a pure heart. What in the world, Jesus? How, how can you call your disciples to have a pure heart when you know we are filthy wretches? Why would you expect us to have something that nobody else has but you? You actually expect me to have it all right before I can see God? Yes, he does. So what do we do? What do we do because Hebrews 12 and 14 reminds us that we need to strive for peace with everyone and for, and for the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. If we're not holy, we won't see God. Beloved, did you know that God cares about your purity? Did you know that God really cares about your purity? He cares so much so that without purity, you won't see him face to face. That's heavy, isn't it? Beloved, just like any other Christian virtue, we cannot produce this on our own. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We receive clean hearts when we surrender to the Lordship of Christ. You receive a, 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 a new, a clean heart when you repent of your sin and you turn towards Jesus Christ by faith. That is the beginning of your walk of purity. You can't be pure if you don't know Jesus. 
You, you, you can talk the talk. You can fake it till you make it. But on the inside, you know you're broken. You know you're at war with God. And you know that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And the only way that, that, that walk of purification begins is when we surrender to Jesus Christ. Ezekiel shows us this. Turn with me to Ezekiel. I want to walk through this text quickly. Ezekiel, the 36th chapter. In verse 25, God is speaking to, to his people, and he says this, Ezekiel 36, beginning with verse 25, watch what God is willing to do. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. You hear that? He didn't say you need to cleanse you. You know how sometimes we've been gone all day? Or when the kids are outside, they've been playing all day. That's how they used to. They used to play outside all day. But when your children been outside all day and they come inside at first, and you get that first whiff of them, you're like, ooh, you smell like outside. Go get in the, go get, go wash up. Go get in the shower. Go clean off. Beloved, sometimes we wake up in the mornings, and our life is a stench before God. And this text reminds us that he needs to clean us. He says, I will cleanse you. In verse 26, and he tells us how he will cleanse us. And he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. See, this gives a whole new perspective to Ezekiel, right? Uh, the, to know that your wicked heart ain't good enough no matter how good you think you are. You need a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a, a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, when Jesus gives us a new heart, he takes us and put us on his altar, this surgery table. And he puts us under, and he begins to do a work on our hearts. He performs heart surgery on us. You know, just this past weekend on Friday, I was with a group of pastors discussing uh, racial reconciliation and, and what needs to take place. And, and one of the pastors, he's from Alabama, I believe, and uh, this is a fantastic uh, uh, individual with just so much wisdom. And he was talking about how he had heart surgery. But after his heart surgery... In order to get, uh, to be completely clear, to, to, to pick up with his regular routine, he had to go into physical therapy, and in therapy, he will be with all the same people having the same issues. And, and every single person there had some form of heart issue, and, and, and now they were trying to get, uh, get their uh, breath up, get their wind up, and make sure their monitoring was right so they can be clear. And he said he would look at them, and they had figured out something that the whole church hadn't. He says they was all there, no matter if they were black, white, rich, 
poor, young, old, he said they were all there for the same reason. They had bad hearts. He said that they would go to the mirror and they would show one another where they had been, uh, uh, surgery had been taking place. And every single one of them, no matter who they were, no matter how close they were to moving from, from rehab, every single person had a scar straight down their chest. And he, and he spoke to them. He said, you know what? You guys in here got something that the church needs to understand that we all got a heart problem and that a man came by and laid us on the table and cracked us open and began to do surgery upon our bad hearts. And then when he was finished, he stitched us back up and said, now go and live. See, beloved, when it comes to the Christian walk, Jesus is our, is our heart surgeon. He's the one that lays you on the table of sacrifice, and he's the one that cracks you open with his word. You can't lay on this table unless you're willing to go under the knife. That means you can't come to Christ without giving up your sin. You can't come to Christ without some type of sacrifice. You can't come to Christ without saying, Lord, your will be done, not mine. And Jesus cracks sinful folks open, and he, 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 he takes their bad heart, and he tears it out, and he reaches inside his own chest and says, I'm not going to give him a heart replacement just from anybody. I'm going to give him my own heart. And then he stitches broke folks back up and says, go and live. Oh, the glory of Christ. That he will lay you on his table and do surgery. And you ain't got no insurance. You can't pay this bill. But he did it anyway. He knew you could never pay him back. But he did it anyway. He knew your life really wasn't worth it. You know when you get a heart transplant, they do all kind of uh, testing to try to see if, if you're worthy for this new heart. And you have to stop certain things. You have to behave a certain way in order to receive a new heart. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter where you're from or if you're going to behave later. He cracks your heart, heart open. He gives you a new heart knowing that when you have a new heart, you'll begin to live a new life. Jesus didn't test you to see if you was acceptable before he gave you this new heart. Hallelujah. Not only do we receive clean hearts when we surrender to the Lordship of Christ, we receive clean hearts when we surrender to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. He says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Don't you know it's the Holy Spirit at work within the Christian causing you to look more like Jesus? It's not just you doing this work trying to be uh, right. It's God working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's a win-win situation. As you're working, he's already was working. You hear that? See, the reason why you could work because he's already was working. But because he has already worked and it caused you to start working now, which causes more uh, sanctification to take place in your life. This is John 16 where 
where God says, and the Holy Spirit will come, and he will teach you all things and remind you all things. The Christian life, beloved, is, is more like a crock pot than a microwave. We can't just change ourselves overnight. But you let Jesus just heat you up a little bit over a long time. The end result is going to be delicious. It's going to be beautiful. That means we have to be faithful in our everyday walk with Christ. We don't quit. We don't give up. Beloved, Jesus gives us the opportunity to come clean. Realize that purification means emancipation from your sin. Because Jesus is willing to purify you, you will be set free from that very sin that has you in bondage. You know that sin. That one thing that you say, man, I, I, just, I just can't stop. Purity comes from faith and hope in the gospel. But when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ and he comes in and gives us a new heart, something amazing takes place. He gives us a new heart and he gives us a reward in return. He says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What greater reward is it than the opportunity to see our master? What greater reward is there in life? Beloved, don't you understand? The goal is not for you just to be better. The goal is for you to see God. The psalmist, uh, all throughout the psalms, we see this desire. I don't care about anything else. Just give me Jesus. Psalm 73, 25, and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 80, 84, 10 says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Don't you understand that our goal is to see God face to face? We get to experience the glory Moses ex experienced on the mountain where he said, God, just show me your glory. But we get to see him fully. We ain't got to worry about seeing the backside of God. We get to look him in the face. What greater reward is there? See, but here's the problem. God is completely set apart from sin. First John tells us that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. There's not a ounce of contamination to God. I, I use the illustration often, and if we don't think an ounce of contamination is bad, just, just, a, just a wee little bit. Say you believed your life only had an a, a eyedropper full of sin, just an eyedropper full of sin. Do you think your life would be pretty good? Now, now, be, now be for real. If, 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 
about all the stuff that you be doing, that you only had this real little, little bitty thing, this eyedropper, we think that would be good, wouldn't it? Now take an eyedropper worth of sewage and put it in your bottle of water. Would you still drink it? Then why do you expect God to accept you for who you is? The text says God is light and that in him there is no darkness. The text says, you shall be holy for I am holy. Stop trying to offer up God a, a, a sewage-contained sacrifice. Repent and turn towards him. Receive the heart that Jesus has given uh, us, uh, those who trust in him, and, and experience the presence of God. The clean will see the presence of God in eternity and now, we get to experience God right now. We ain't got to wait. We get to see his presence in our life. See, when you save, you recognize those little things. You recognize, Lord, I woke up in my right mind today. Father, the, the, oh, when I hit the switch, the lights came on. When it was cold outside, I was able to turn the heat up a little bit. I got food on my table and clothes on my back. Oh, if I, if, 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 if I just had kept on living how I was living, where would I be? It must have been God who reached, who, who reached down and got me up out my mess. We know the presence of God is real because we just look in the mirror some days and say, had it not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? We get to experience the presence of God right now in our everyday lives. The riches of his grace and the riches of his mercy are overflowing. Oh, the great shepherd, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When God says his, your cup overflows, that means he ain't holding back on you. That means he's just pouring. You keep messing, but he keeps pouring. Grace, mercy, and goodness. He, he's pouring grace and mercy and goodness. Oh, and it's overflowing. Beloved, pick up your cup and drink. We get to experience his presence right now. But then, secondly, the clean will see the pleasures of God forevermore. Take your best day. I mean the best day you have ever lived. Your, your best day. And multiply that by a billion. That's just one day with the Lord. We get to experience the, his pleasures forevermore. And it's not like God has little pleasures. Like he owns galaxies. You, you get it? Like he owns mountains. You worried about your iPhone. And then like his, your iPhone can't take you somewhere like that though, can it? Like we're talking about God. Like he created the universe. He, he created all of the galaxies. Like, like 
things that are so huge and big that we cannot even fathom. God holds them in the palm of his hand. And you think that God doesn't have more pleasures for his children? We will get the privilege of spending an eternity with God, enjoying his pleasures. Day one with God and day a million with God, he's still going to be showing us, look what I got today, y'all. Oh, look what I got today, y'all. And we're going to go crazy, like, oh, that's the greatest thing ever, God, oh. And then tomorrow will come, he said, guess what I got today? Oh, my goodness, God, you're so awesome. And then he's going to show us something now. Like, oh, God, you outdid yourself today. And the angel's going to be shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the, and the, and the saints, are they going to be bowing down before him? Like, go ahead with your bad self, God. Oh, do it again. Oh, do it again. And he's going to say, I did it again. And we say, oh, we're going to shout and sing. The victory. I can't wait. I can't wait. Do it again, God. Do it again, God. And we walk around like we've been sucking on lemons all day. When he is willing to share with us his pleasures forever more. kind of God is this? That he would give us the riches of his inheritance in Christ Jesus. Because he has already given us his best in Christ. Though genuine Christians pursue purity each day, on this side of glory, we will never achieve this perfect purity required of God. We just won't get there. Our sinful flesh has been blemished. You know how you go to the store, you get them sales on, them, on that, them blemished items. You take them to your house and you just turn them around so don't nobody see. We, or when you're shopping for, for a good piece of fruit, you don't pick up that blemished piece of fruit. We're blemished. But the call to be pure in heart is the call to sinless perfection. And this perfection is echoed by the Apostle Peter in, in 1 Peter, the first chapter where he says, you should be holy for I am holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. But when I look in the mirror, no matter how well I think I'm doing spiritually, I still know that I'm not perfect. See, that's why I'm glad holiness is not a work of man, but a work of God. Sinless perfection is not grasped by man, but freely given by God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us of this truth where he says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not a, not a lower level righteousness, but the righteousness of God himself. You hear that? In him, in Jesus, we have this righteousness. Titus 2.14 says, who gave, this is Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness 
and to purify. You hear that? And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. To be in Christ is to know how sin has contaminated your own heart. To be in Christ is to know that you are poor and needy, unable to pay the penalty for your own sin. To be in Christ is to know that your works are but trash before a holy and righteous God. To be in Christ is to know all of this bad news, but to still rejoice because you know the depths of this sweet gospel of grace that even when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God demonstrated his love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ came, he lived a life that we could not live, and he laid out on Calvary's cross, and he took the nails in his hands, he took the nails in his feet, he took the scars on his head, he took the spear in the side for you and for me, we were supposed to be on that cross, but Jesus took our place. The substitutionary atonement of Christ has come for all who will repent and believe in him. That's the gospel of grace. He has accomplished the victory. To be in Christ is to know that this atonement of Calvary's cross has been applied to your own soul. And by grace you are saved, and by grace you will continue to be kept. Beloved, are you clean today? Because this text is not only a source of encouragement, this text is a warning. For all those who say, I'm not that bad, you may not be that bad, but have you been washed? Have you been sanctified? Have you been justified? Come clean today and trust Christ for salvation and receive that pure heart that comes through Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for being so phenomenal, for being so great. Thank you for applying to dead people life. That though we were dead, you have come that we might live. So Father, on today I ask that you would purify our hearts by causing us to surrender and submit ourselves to your Lordship and to obey the leading and the guiding of your Holy Spirit. But Father, for the one who does not know you as Lord and Savior and know that they are not pure in heart, that they've only been cleaning up on the outside, I ask that you would lead them to repentance. That they would see the treasure of who Christ Jesus is. So Father, we ask that you would have mercy, that you continue to have your way in this worship service. We do love you and we do thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. <laughs> Beloved, the doors of the church are now open. If you're here today, there's never been a moment in your life where you've actually surrendered your life to Jesus Christ for salvation. 
And the Lord is calling you today saying you need a clean heart. Then you can come and talk to one of our deacons, one of the young men, and we will show you from the scriptures what must you do to be saved. Or you may be here today and you are a follower of Christ but just been struggling with sin. Cast your cares upon the Lord because Christ is faithful. You may be in need of prayer and want, want, want someone to touch and agree with you. You can come for prayer. Or maybe just the various issues of life are, are taking place and you just want someone to pray with you, for you, then you can come. Or maybe you're here and the Lord is calling you to be a part of this covenant fellowship at Forest Baptist Church. And you can come and talk to one of our deacons and we will show you what, what it looks like to be a covenant member here at Forest Baptist Church. So whether your need is salvation, prayer, or membership, you can come as we all stand and sing our closing song. May we all stand.
Amen. I just want to say thank you, Lord, for a pure heart. For I shall see my God face to face. Amen. Beloved, we've come to the time in our worship where we transition to worshiping the Lord through the giving of our tithes and offering, but then also every second Sunday is when we celebrate and recognize the, the Lord's Supper. So as we prepare our hearts to come and worship, to give of our tithes and offering, let us prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper. Jesus Christ gave two ordinances to the church, the first being baptism, but then the second being communion. The first, the first ordinance is that which recognizes our new birth, that we buried in his likeness and death, but raised to walk in the newness of life. That's, our, that's like our, the day we married like, I, uh, like our anniversary day for when we were married to Jesus. But then we come to the table just to remind us of the love we have for Jesus, the relationship we're in, what he has already accomplished on Calvary's cross, what he is working out in our life right now, and what we will have waiting for us in glory. And that is a seat at the table to dine with him face to face. And this table is a means of grace because we just take a moment to pause to really think about our own sin. And we pause to ask the Lord to forgive us for our sin and to help us to walk in obedient fashion. Because when we come to the table, we don't want to come out of tradition. We don't want to come because we've always come. We want to come because we love Jesus today. And he is my Lord and Savior today. So when we come to the table, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that's okay. But let the cup pass. If you're steeped in your sin and you have relationships that are steeped in sin, and if you're uh, fighting against a root of bitterness and you're just not dealing with your sin, just let the cup pass. We're not trying to figure out why you stand sitting in your seat. Be obedient to Christ. Don't worry about us. The way we do partake in communion here at Forest Baptist Church is that as you bring your tithes and offerings, you will take the elements from the deacons. You will take them back to your chairs, and then we will partake of the elements together. If you are unable to come forward, you just sit in your chair and raise your hand, and we will bring the elements to you. So as we come, let us just take a moment to pause to give some reflection upon our lives and the sin we must forsake. Let us take a moment to pause right now.
time, may we all stand and follow the directions of the ushers.
Raise your hand if you have not been served. We will come to you. At this time, we're going to have Brother Alex Tenenbaum pray for us as we take this meal together as a family.
y'all stand together? The night that he was betrayed, betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that same night, Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. You may be seated. I'm not sure if we have any announcements for today. Amen. There are a number of different uh, opportunities and announcements in your bulletins. If you just take a, take a look at these uh, sheets of paper, just a reminder that the G.L. Roberts School of Religion is not this week, but the following week. And if there's a, a number of different classes that you can register for, but the sooner you register, uh, the more likely you are to get the class that you're looking for. So I just want to encourage you to, that, to go there. And again, it, it's, it's free of charge. We have registered as a church. Also, you should have received uh, a handout for, uh, for you to update your, your, members, your membership information. Again, we are updating um, some new software, trying to make sure we have all the most accurate information for each person. So those who are passed out uh, later on this month, 
we have the, the privilege once again to embark on our annual 21-day uh, fast. And I just want to encourage you, again, we're, we're not fasting to lose weight. We're not fasting uh, just to give up something. But we're, we, we're fasting because we want more of Jesus. Uh, so I encourage everyone to participate in some way. You may not be able to fast from food because of medical reasons, not because of hunger reasons, but medical reasons. But there are many different things that you can fast from. Uh, also, later on this month, we will have our first members meeting of the year. But then a reminder to all of our directors, we have a directors meeting this Saturday at 9 a.m. Other than that, so grateful for you again, Forrest. Uh, I love the privilege to serve, and let's continue to uh, serve the Lord together and be focused on not trying to act Christian, but just being Christian. All right? So let us stand, grab your neighbor by the hand, and repeat after me. As we leave this place, but never from his presence, but my God shall supply all of your needs, all of my needs, according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And we live, shake your neighbor and say we move and have our being. For we walk by faith and not by sight. For greater is he that is in you, that is in me, than he that is in the world. For God is with us and no one can be against us. For what I say in the one, I say to all, watch, look, and pray. Now give someone a holy hug. You are dismissed.